Hey there, this is Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I am Shanda Sung and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan and I'm a farmer. We have been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is about natural disasters. Oh, pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to keep it light for today. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a, I haven't experienced any natural disasters, but we live in the Midwest. So like tornado warnings and I've had some close shaves with tornadoes before. Yeah. That's about the closest I've gotten. So <laughs> yeah, tornadoes. And tornado sirens are like nothing. We almost get to the point where we ignore them. Right, yeah. And I was a long time ago dating a guy who lived in in L.A. And Mm -hmm. we were on the phone. I was sitting in my apartment in Indianapolis. And the tornado siren went off while we were on the phone. He's like, oh, my gosh, what is that? And I was like, ah, it's just tornado siren. Don't worry about it. He's like, oh, my God, you have a tornado? This is insane. Like, you should get somewhere. What is happening? And he was freaking out. And he was like, don't you have to get somewhere safe? And I was like, no, I'm fine. And he was like, you should go downstairs because I was on the second floor. He said, you should go to your downstairs neighbor and get in front of their door and cover your head and do like the tornado drill like you did in school. (laughs) He's like, get in front of the neighbor's door. And I was like, um... No. If a tornado is going to get me, I'm going to die in my bed like a true Midwesterner. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. That's funny. But like the perspective of whatever you're around seems less scary. Like my sister-in-law was born and raised in Miami. And a few years ago, she was there in uh, during Irma, during Hurricane Irma Mm. for a wedding. And she got kind of stranded there and they they had to cancel the wedding and everything. But I was texting her. I'm like, how are you feeling? Are you how's it going and she was like well you know it's a hurricane and i was like yeah it's terrifying and she was like i don't know i mean i'm used to it and, but tornadoes are scarier to me than that and mm-hmm. you know like so it's just what you're around i would say like the scariest thing has to be earthquakes though because there's no warning you have no prep i've actually felt an earthquake before mm. i was in oklahoma city on an overnight back when i was a flight attendant and yeah. it felt like somebody had grabbed the end of my bed and shook it. Weird. And actually, what's funny is, because I've never experienced earthquakes before, my first thought was, oh, my God, someone's in my room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. And you don't think of Oklahoma as being an earthquake spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. Weird. Man, they get everything. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't they can't catch a break. <laughs> no, they can't. Don't live in Oklahoma. I mean, not that I was planning on it. Well, there's that. There's like a whole season of Friends about how terrible it is. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, I've had a couple close calls with tornadoes. But even living in the Midwest and Tennessee for my entire life, I never actually saw a tornado. When I was growing up, though, in Indiana, I remember my sister and I, there was a bad storm and her and I were home alone for some reason. And I, we didn't want to go down into the basement because our basement is small and musty and it's a thousand years old. Like it's more of a big crawl space than it is an actual basement. (laughs) So it's gross. And there were spiders and we didn't want to go down there. But we could look out our enclosed porch window and there was a lilac bush right outside on the other side of the driveway. So 
we were keeping an eye out. That was really the only place that we could see the sky because our house is surrounded by trees. But I looked out the window and that lilac bush, which is normally tall and fluffy, was down completely on the ground, like spread out on the ground. And I was like, oh, no, we better go. (laughs) We went we sat on the bottom step in the basement because we didn't want to actually go into the basement. We're like, this is close enough. (laughs) This seems safe enough. Yeah. Yeah. We had the we had a similar terrifying, creepy basement. Ours was bigger, but. Definitely, like, straight out of a horror film, really wet and lots of critters and stuff. And it took something pretty severe to get us to actually go down there. It's like, we're just going to stand here. Yeah. It's not like we can sit and do something to entertain ourselves. We're not... There's no furniture down here. Right. It's just moldy old nastiness. And luckily, the house that I live in now... We have a couple rooms. Our basement is finished and like our living room's down here and it's a walkout. And we have a couple rooms that are completely no windows or anything. So it's very comfortable during we'll just we just come down here just because it's fine. We'll just sit (laughs) all sit on the guest bed in this windowless room and watch TV. And it's it's fine. Heck yeah. But yeah, there have been a couple. There was one. The most recent one was on my three year old's first birthday our friends were like leaving the party and there was a bad storm and they had to pull off and went into Walmart because it was raining so hard they couldn't see. They're like, we'll just go into Walmart for a little bit until the rain dies down. And Walmart was like, you can't leave. There's a tornado. (laughs) And they were stuck in Walmart for like an hour and a half. And a tornado tore through a whole area, destroyed a bunch of stuff, went through this wildlife reserve that has a really nice hiking trail through it and yeah you walk through that hiking trail and it's still laid to waste a couple years later wow so there have been some other ones in bloomington like i was out delivering chinese food one night and there was a tornado and i didn't realize it <laughs> so yeah if it, if a tornado is what gets me i'll die like the midwesterner i am right <laughs> like like a true hero <laughs> yeah ignore exactly. ignoring the tornado siren that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, fine <laughs> these people need their general sauce chicken I got to get that $2 tip. Let me get that out yeah. there. I will say the closest I did ever come to a tornado where that was scary as a kid. And then, of course, when I was in Indianapolis, that one where I was like, meh, whatever. But when I lived in Denver, I was mm-hmm. flying and there was a tornado that came very close to the airport. Like you could literally see the tornado from the windows of the airport. Ah. And so, of course... They made an announcement throughout the terminal, ladies and gentlemen, please, in a calm fashion, move towards our tornado shelters. We will have people instructing you. Please take shelter in maybe like in a bathroom or whatever they were saying. They had designated areas and and all that. (laughs) But people were running to these giant 30-foot windows to take pictures and watch the tornado. And I remember (laughs) walking to the crew room. At the yeah. time, which it too was an entire wall of windows. So I don't know what I thought I was going to accomplish in the crew room, but at least I wouldn't die in front of people. So I guess that's maybe what I was going for. <laughs> but on my way to the crew room, there was a gate agent who you could tell was just done, just done with everybody. And this guy gets on and he's like, guys, get away from the windows. What are you doing? <laughs> You can see that it's right there. Please get away from the windows. 
go to a shelter. Good God. Like, he was just so <laughs> frustrated and done with, it. like, everybody. <laughs> the pictures are not worth it, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> he was just so mad and he was so done. It was hilarious. But... Yeah, that's funny. Because an airport, it's, like, all windows. Yeah. But yeah. that the views in that airport specifically are very pretty. Oh, so yeah. I imagine it made for some cool pictures. But, you know, is it worth getting shrapneled? <laughs> I know, right? By shards of glass? Who knows? It'd have to be a pretty good picture. If I recall, the wind was so strong it moved airplanes. But it did it knock down the demon horse is what I want to It know. still stands. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. Actually, that... Wind cannot defeat the power of evil. That thing's so scary, it probably knocked it down and it righted itself. <laughs> it did. <laughs> just like laser beam eyes, just like into the ground until it pops back exactly. up. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> Man. I haven't really been a part of a natural disaster at all, which I'm, I'm glad for because I don't want to, yeah. really. We've had like flash flooding and stuff yeah. here and, you know, bad storms that way. And, you know, downtown Bloomington has flooded at least a few times since we've lived here. And but fortunately, I mean, you can't get me to move to a coast. I am not interested in boarding up my windows for a hurricane. No, thank you. no. I feel sorry for people who live in like New Orleans and that area. Yeah. Because they get hit, it seems like every 10 years or so now. I mean, yeah. With something big and bad. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. You just keep a huge stack of plywood in your garage, like, oh, time to drag it out and nail up all the windows again. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what are you going to talk about? What's your natural disaster? You're up first today. I am up first today. So, my topic is on tsunamis. Ooh. Yeah. So scary. <laughs> ooh, spooky. So yeah. Tsunami is the Japanese word for harbor wave, which makes sense. Okay. It's yeah. A giant wave that comes into your harbor and destroys your town. <laughs> yeah. It is also known as a tidal wave, but scientists don't like using the term tidal wave. Because it's not mm -hmm. actually related to tides. Yeah, that makes sense. So scientists are like, that's not accurate. So maybe don't <laughs> use that term. It's not oh, scientifically. Scientists are so like that. So like that. They were like, oh my God, you guys, don't. Okay, just don't. <laughs> that's what they said. Yeah. Said it to my face. <laughs> so yeah, don't say tidal wave. But what does cause tsunamis, not the tide, not the moon, but tectonic movement yeah which causes earthquakes and volcanoes mm -hmm. also lesser known things like landslides large landslides into the water glaciers breaking off so when huge chunks of ice fall into the water that can cause tsunamis pretty much anything that displaces large amounts of water yeah is essentially what causes a tsunami so technically when i lower my body into my bathtub and it sloshes over the side i am creating a natural disaster pretty much <laughs> pretty much that's exact definition <laughs> makes me feel powerful i know right <laughs> another cause that i didn't even really consider which is kind of interesting is meteor impact if a meteor oh, yeah. hits the water can cause a tsunami which is interesting. 
I didn't even yeah. think that that was an option. I think it's a pretty rare occurrence, yeah. but neat nonetheless. If you're going to suffer a tsunami, a space tsunami seems like the coolest one. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And tsunamis are actually pretty common. Often they aren't as big and scary as what makes the news. Right. So even if the water raises just a couple feet from a very minor earthquake or, like I said, a landslide or a glacier, that's still considered a tsunami. It's just yeah. much smaller and most of the time goes completely unperceived by the average person. However, the waves can get as tall as 100 feet. Mm. They can travel at 500 miles an hour. Uh. That's a speed I can't even think about. I, I can't right. fathom a wave moving that fast. Yeah. And when it hits land, it can travel 10 miles inland. Wow. Yeah. That's a big one. That's one you're going to notice. Yeah. So you're not even close to being able to see the coast, but you could still be vulnerable to a tsunami. Yeah. And here's something I didn't know. The first wave is typically not the strongest. Hmm. So that huge wall of water that's coming towards you is not the biggest, scariest, strongest thing coming. There are yeah. several waves behind it even bigger. Wow. But hopefully you'll have run far enough yeah. or gotten to higher ground by then. So there's like a moment of of preparation. Like you know this is going to get worse. Or if you see that one has hit your neighbor's house, you're like, we got to get the hell out of here. Got to get. Because it's coming for us next. Wow. Yeah. Fun fact, if you can call it fun, 80% of all tsunamis occur in the Pacific Ocean's Ring of Fire. Okay. If you heard that term, the Ring of Fire, do you remember that from school? <laughs> yes, because uh, my kids, one of their favorite show is called The Octonauts, and they make little movies on Netflix, and one of the movies was about the Ring of Fire. Huh, cool. So I am well-versed in preschool-level knowledge of the Ring of Fire. <laughs> It's actually a great show. I recommend it. It's educational and cute. So for those of you who haven't seen the show or forgot <laughs> from your junior high natural science lesson, the Ring of Fire is the volcanoes that have arisen around the Pacific Ocean's tectonic plate. And yeah. I'm pretty sure the Pacific Ocean is above one big giant tectonic plate and mm -hmm. where it meets others is where those volcanoes and earthquakes occur. And unfortunately, when those happen, they cause tsunamis and they often travel across the Pacific Ocean. And poor Japan and Indonesia and those islands that sit along the western side of the Pacific Ocean, yeah, they get it the worst. Yeah. And I feel sorry for them. <laughs> yeah. And they're small islands too, so... For a tsunami to ha have a wave that'll go 10 miles inland, that's pretty significant. Some of those islands, that's almost your whole island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember back in 2004, uh, December 26th to be exact, this was not actually in the Pacific Ocean. It was just on the other side of those islands that are on the southwest side of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Just on the other side of those which is the Indian Ocean. Yeah. There was a huge earthquake just west of Sumatra. And that earthquake was registered at over 
one on the Richter scale. Wow. It was the most powerful earthquake up until that point that they had registered. It caused, of course, this huge tsunami that killed approximately 230,000 people and injured approximately 500,000 more across 14 different countries. Wow. It was intense, the amount of damage it did. I remember. I do, too. I remember, you know, it was a huge deal. And for it to be something that happens in one place and then can kill people in so many other far-reaching places, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a hurricane. A hurricane hits one or two spots. Uh, Same with an earthquake or whatever. But, like, the destruction of a tsunami is just, it's in all directions. Yeah. They ended up feeling the earthquake it was so big and so powerful. They felt the earthquake all over Thailand, yeah. the Maldives, Indonesia, all those places like they felt it. And then, of course, the tsunami itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was really intense. And I do remember I rem- I don't know why I remember this. And it just dawned on me around the time that this happened. There was an interview that somebody had done on the I think it was the, a news source that had interviewed people that had experienced that tsunami or had survived it. And they said something along the lines of, I saw the water recede Mm. and I couldn't do anything about it. I think they were like trapped in a building or something. Yeah. And they said, I saw the water recede. I knew what it was and I couldn't do anything about it. And I was standing there yelling at people on the beach who were like walking out to the water because they didn't understand what was going on. And so they were walking out to take pictures and or whatever to see what was going on. And that person was like, I was just yelling at them, get away, get away, get away, because they didn't understand what was going on. Can you imagine? Oh, nope. Nope. I can't imagine having a front row seat. Powerless. Yeah. And seeing these people running directly into danger and not even realizing it. Yeah, because they just had no clue what was going on. I don't, yeah. Maybe it was tourists. I would assume that yeah. locals would know. Maybe. Heck, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. So actually, Japan gets hit with so many tsunamis and have throughout the entirety of the, <laughs> the island that they have what are called tsunami stones. Some of them are up to 600 years old, and they are literally stone pillars that have inscriptions on them that are warning people not to build below the line of the stone because mm-hmm. you your house will get wiped away in a tsunami. Like this is how far inland the tsunami reached? It was a way to tell future generations about a disaster that had made it to this point on their island. So they said, don't build beyond this point because you are in tsunami zone. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. When you said that, I was thinking they were in the ocean and it was like, if the water goes away and you see those stones, run. (laughs) Oh, that would be interesting. I think they're on land. Yeah, that would be harder to accomplish, though, I think. I was like, they're 600 years old and you can still, like, read them? (laughs) (laughs) Some of them. backwards brain. (laughs) Some of them are 600 years old. Yeah. A lot of them were wiped out in various tsunamis and storms. Right. So they keep having to put them back up. Uh, Keep moving the markers. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And then there's all sorts of stories and folklore and legends around tsunamis. 
that mm-hmm. various indigenous people that live on the continents around the Pacific Ocean that yeah. deal with tsunamis, that talk about them because some cultures didn't have written language or any sort of record keeping. So it was a way of them through storytelling to, again, warn future generations. Yeah. Because I read somewhere that it only takes two or three generations for people to forget a big disaster. So if you had something that wiped out most of your people that lived in your area, you're going to want to tell them stories about how to get to higher ground, how what to look out for and things yeah. like that. But they found stories from indigenous people who lived in the Pacific Northwest. They found stories from the Morari, I think is the how you say the Australian tribe. Mm. They had stories. There were various, of course, Japanese stories about it. They found that they would continue these legends and these stories just as a warning. Hey, look out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how they did their systems. Now we have very sophisticated computerized warning systems that can sense seismic activity. And is it going to be enough then to trigger a tsunami? They can now predict size and magnitude and trajectory. Where is it going to hit? You know, they have Mm -hmm. all the sophisticated science, but... Back in the day, you know, how how would you know? It was really just what your grandparents, great-grandparents had experienced, the lessons they had learned, and the stories they continued on. I thought that was so cool. And I'm like, I get it, man. That's great. (laughs) Or you carve it into stone and warn people, hey, don't. (laughs) Yeah. Don't build beyond this. It seems like something that's so, like, mythical and far away because it's not something that we experience here but to think about how common it is in other parts of the world these islands that are basically out in the middle of of various oceans i don't think you know i think of how how am i gonna survive a tornado how am i gonna survive flooding or whatever i don't think about oh i gotta keep in the back of my brain if the tide disappears run like hell, you know? Yeah, it's wild. I'm the same. That's a natural disaster I don't ever really think of as being an option. We're from Indiana and Ohio. Like, don't think we have to worry about tsunamis. (laughs) Although, I think tsunamis can happen in lakes. So watch out for those at the Great Lakes. Yeah, I don't know if they're over any any tectonic plates that have any kind of... But if they were, and there were like earthquakes in the middle of... Lake Superior or something, for sure, I bet. Landslide or meteor? Oh, yeah, landslide, yeah. I suppose. So I guess you have the above-Earth causes and the below-Earth causes. (laughs) Yeah. We get a meteorite that hits uh, right in the middle of Lake Michigan. Look out, Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Although I don't think that's high on their concerned list either. (laughs) (laughs) They've got some other things to worry about. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they got blizzards and tornadoes and gun violence all that wind they're always complaining about <laughs> wind yeah <laughs> got all, they got other things i think tsunami is pretty low on the list for them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's all i really had on tsunamis it was a short one today it was interesting yeah but full of hopefully well i was gonna say fun facts but uh, not really fun grim facts interesting <laughs> heed heed these facts as warning (laughs) watch out for tsunamis yeah read read the stones people (laughs) 
All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you have to talk about. But first, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. Okay, we are back. And this is a very closely related episode. We have episodes that are really a stretch to get the things (laughs) in the same episode together. I'm thinking specifically of the food episode. (laughs) But then there are episodes that were pretty much our subjects are walking hand in hand. And that's what today is, because I'm going to talk about a volcano, specifically the Krakatoa volcano, which was in Indonesia. And Mm. the result of that included some tsunamis. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we're right in the same area. It was very interesting. And actually, I owe you thanks for this. Yes. Because we were talking about today's episode and you were like, hey, I heard about a thing. And then you sent me some screenshots and I was like, I could talk about that. (laughs) And so here we are. So I'm going to talk about Krakatoa, which is fun to say. It is a tiny little island in Indonesia. It was a caldera, which is like a cauldron-like hollow that forms, you know, really the stereotypical what you think of a volcano as, Mm -hmm. big hole in the top. And this one actually had three peaks that were all active, pretty much as far back as as recorded science goes, this volcano has been active. It's part of a group in the Krakatoa Archipelago. You know what? When I was writing this, I was like, I'm not going to be able to say that word. And then I practiced it. And I still can't say it. <laughs> Archipelago? Joe. Go. Archipelago. Whatever. It's a group of four islands, damn it. <laughs> There's uh, Krakatoa, Lang, Verlatin, and Rakato. And at the time that I'm going to talk about, which was the largest eruption of Krakatoa, was in 1883. Those were the four islands that existed. And these sort of are nestled in between two areas of the Indian Ocean near Sumatra and then a larger island called Lang. But they're between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean is where this is. So a lot of water, a lot of islands. That's exactly where the 2004 tsunami started. Yeah. was in that same yeah. area. But this is much earlier, right? What year did this you This is much earlier. This is 1883. Okay. So it's in this area where a lot of ocean... The islands were very small, but in an area that was owned by the Dutch at this time period. And the Dutch would come through and stop at the islands while they were going back and forth and on their way to India. And in 1780 was the first kind of record of anyone stopping there. The HMS Discovery stopped there on their way back from Hawaii after Captain Cook died in Hawaii. Hmm. And they... They stopped there and they recorded that they found a native population. And so there was some drawings and stuff of of the people that they encountered there. But the Dutch took it over. They tried much later to create a pepper plantation. They tried to make use of these islands. But every time they would go there, for some reason, all of the vegetation was burned to a crisp. (laughs) And and so nothing really took on these islands. And in 1809, they tried to make a penal colony there. Also did not work out. But by the time this big explosion happens in 1880, there are no permanent inhabitants on any of these four islands that are part of the Krakatoa archipelago. Was that it? Mm-hmm. Did I say it? So you All did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the closest inhabitants were on a small island called Sabisi, 
seven and a half miles away from Krakatoa. And so that's kind of where we're at as far as what the population is in that area at this time. And so we're coming up to the 1800s and Krakatoa has exploded in various times, smaller eruptions, bigger eruptions, a lot of destroying of vegetation and things like that. But we get into June of 1883, there were a few large eruptions that left a huge black cloud over the island for five days. And then eventually a wind came by, blew that cloud away, and it revealed three ash columns from all three of the points Ugh. of the Krakatoa volcano. Yikes. Yeah. So there were some earthquakes felt in the area. People were on the Indian Ocean and it would rain chunks of stone onto their boats. And they're like, this seems not great. um there might be something terrible coming and so they they had some people some early scientists keeping an eye on things and this was in june when this first initial explosion happened and then it comes to august and a dutch engineer topographical engineer comes to the island to check things out finds a foot of ash all completely burned out vegetation and three active ash columns that are still coming out of the top of this. And he says, I don't think anybody should come here for a while. (laughs) And so he puts out an alert and the Dutch trading companies tell their ships, nobody stop around Krakatoa. Things are not looking great over there. It's been raining ash for an entire month. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe don't come. You're going to get dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then on August 27th, there are four huge explosions and i'll start off by kind of explaining there's a an index that they use there's the richter scale for earthquakes and there's something called the volcanic explosivity index the vei that is a relative measure of size and explosiveness for volcanoes across history and right now it starts at one and it can go to whatever but at this point the largest recorded explosion has been an eight And those were all millions of years B.C. Krakatoa is a six, and it is in line with pretty much the largest recorded, human-recorded history of volcanoes. Mm. So this is a huge, enormous explosion, the highest classification for anything that people have recorded and experienced. And so August 27th is when this happens, 1883. And at 5.30 a.m., there was a huge explosion that triggered a tsunami. And then at 6.44 a.m., there was another explosion that triggered another tsunami. Oh, man. And then at 10.02 a.m. is the largest explosion. And that was from the main point of the island of Krakatoa. And it was so loud that it could be heard in Perth, Australia, 3,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. And Australia thought they were under fire from cannon attacks. That's how loud it was. Because there were some ships in the bay in Australia. Uh And they're like, they're firing fucking cannons at us. But no, it was a volcanic explosion 3,000 miles away. And it is the loudest sound in recorded history. This explosion was. It ruptured eardrums of sailors who were on ships 40 miles away. They're just bleeding from the ears. That's how loud this was. The pressure wave that came out of this explosion, the displaced air that caused a huge 
wave of pressure was so large that it was recorded on equipment around the world that this wave circled the entire globe three and a half times. Jeez. That's how powerful this was. Ash shot 50 miles in the sky. 30% of the island just disappeared. Well, yeah. (laughs) Because it exploded so much. Yeah. So the majority of Krakatoa itself, the three points of the volcano, were gone. During the fourth explosion, the whole side of the island dropped into the ocean, and that caused the largest tsunami as a result of this explosion. So the pressure wave that I talked about and the force of the actual explosion was deadly to the people nearby. That island that was populated seven and a half miles away, 3,000 people lived on that island. Every one of them died as a result of the pressure wave of the explosion from this from this volcano. I mean, what does that do? Does that just like explode your heart or something? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. And it's, it's a, a wave of pressure, but then it, it is accompanied by pyroclastic flows, which is just liquid molten rock that shoots, like it flows across the water and then goes up on land and burns up people and structures and vegetation and everything so that also contributed towards that so they got they got hit by the pressure wave then they got pummeled by molten shrapnel essentially the entire population of sabisi is gone pretty much instantaneously three thousand people sumatra which is the other large island that was closest a thousand people died there And then another 31,000 people died as a result of the tsunamis. And there was a tsunami that was 120 feet high, this wave. And bodies washed up in the Indian Ocean for over a year. Wow. As a result of this. Because the tsunamis came in and washed away, just picked people up and, and swept them out to sea. Yeah. And so their bodies were washing up all over the Indian Ocean. Gross. For months and months. Yeah. There were people who were found floating on giant pieces of uh, pumice, you know, the rock that got exploded from the the island, who had tr- found a piece of something and climbed up on it and tried to survive. So not only is there the disaster of the initial explosion, but like we were talking about, the tsunami is the after effect of that. And it was even more deadly mm-hmm. and much wider range of disaster, you know, all over, especially in places that were nearby. Yeah. You think of volcanoes as being the damaging portion of it being the lava or the ash. Yeah. But there were so many things with this one, things you wouldn't think of, the pressure, the sound boom, the tsunami, that, yeah. Yeah, just something so loud, it ruptures your eardrums and you're 40 miles away, like you can't even see it. And then, like, how confused are you? Yeah. (laughs) You're just standing on the deck of a ship and all of a sudden your ears are bleeding or whatever and you can't see anything and you have no idea why. And how loud must that have been to come out of the blue and you have no idea what caused it? I would have jumped clean out of my skin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Left my eardrum sitting on the deck. Assume that you were under fire. Like that would be the only thing that. Yeah. And you're looking around for another ship and there's nothing. It had worldwide effects. So much so that it darkened the sky 
for years. After this happened, there were all over the world, there are famous paintings and painters who were in this time that you can look at their artwork from this time and they've all painted the sky the same like dark orange, dark yellow color because that's what it was for like a couple years. Oh, and wild. sunsets were a wild the at sunset, the sun had a purple ring around it for a long time because of this. And it lowered the worldwide temperature. By several degrees for two years. Jeez. So there, it's a time referred then as like the time where there was no summer. And it was just cold. <laughs> Colder than it normally was because the ash blocked out the sun, which is crazy. That is a worldwide climate impact because of this volcanic eruption. In the immediate aftermath, new islands popped up nearby. So the Krakatoa Island itself basically disappeared following this. And then all of the lava that came out pushed up new smaller islands and then they kind of went away and then they came back. So there has been an evolution. You can watch like an evolution. They have like a, a GIF online. of It shows like they popped up in the 60s and then they went away. And like, But the main thing is there's a new island called Anak Krakatoa, which is child of Krakatoa. And that is pretty much where the former Krakatoa was mm. and what's left of the actual Krakatoa is still volcanically active. So uh, it had an eruption in April of 2020. So she's still kicking. Mm. <laughs> so, but hey, you know what? We could use a worldwide temperature dip. <laughs> <laughs> so would it be the worst thing, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. In 2018, there was a pretty big eruption that caused a tsunami and 426 people were killed in Sumatra. And so these tsunamis that happened in Krakatoa, there was one that was so big, it picked up a steamship called the Barrow, B-E-R-O-U-W, Barrow, Barrow, through this steamship a mile inland. Dang. And killed everybody on the ship and everybody the ship landed on. Well, yeah. So that's how, that's how big this tsunami was. And that was the 120-foot high tsunami that happened after nine square miles of the island fell into the ocean following that Jeez. fourth huge explosion. It was an on is like a disaster on top of a disaster on top of a disaster. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it, it's still active, so as are 130 other volcanoes in Indonesia alone. Jeez. That's another thing that I don't think about. Yeah. About how many active volcanoes there are. I mean, Mount St. Helens is the most recent off the top of my head that was really huge like that. And there was the one in Iceland, I guess, that had a lot of ash, but nothing Krakatoa Nothing that equals that 1883 explosion. Yeah. So I'm wondering uh, if we're due. Uh, isn't that what people are worried about with the Yellowstone supervolcano? Oh, yeah. Is I mean, have you heard about that? I've seen headlines. Yeah. But I'm afraid to read more. Uh, same. Honestly. <laughs> I have so many other things to be scared of. I really don't want to yeah. start thinking of beautiful Yellowstone as, you know, the thing that could possibly end humanity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of awe-inspiring to think about 
how volatile our earth is and like powerful and able to create its own destruction Mm -hmm. and we've been able to sort of hang out here through all of it but we're basically just riding through space on a giant gassy ball of burning rock (laughs) of angry burning rock (laughs) that could kill us vengeful (laughs) burning rock just waiting to get farted off the face of the planet uh yeah so that's thank you for giving me this subject because it was really interesting and fun to read about and i have this is like four pages of notes so (gasps) i could get farther into this it was just really interesting to learn about I'd like to see a volcano. I'm going to Hawaii soon. I might see a volcano. Go see a volcano. I'll take a picture. Bring me back, a, bring me back some lava rock. That's probably illegal, right? Just pick up <laughs> lava with my bare hand. Is that what you said? <laughs> you can wear gloves. It looks really pretty. I bet it's not as hot as everyone says it is. <laughs> take yourself a cast iron ladle. Just scoop me out some. <laughs> See, if I pick it up with my bare hands, it'll burn off my fingerprints, and then I can commit so many crimes. <laughs> See, everybody wins. Silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Good story. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, very interesting. I'm sure there's a lot more, a lot more. I'm sure there are books that have been written about it that would be really interesting to read. So I uh, have to continue down this rabbit hole. Yeah. And I'll give you a part two. Very cool. Later episodes. Uh, Yeah. So when you're not uh, hiding from tornadoes, (laughs) what what do you guys have going on over there? Still doing our thing. Got the turkeys out. They're doing good. They're out on pasture now. So they're loving it. Getting big. I love turkeys. They're funny. I need to post more turkey videos on TikTok. I know. I haven't. I feel like I haven't seen them at all. Give me a turkey talk. Okay. I'll give you a turkey talk. Turkey talks are are in in the works. Turkey talk. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah making videos on the farm and having a great time with that we're going into fall so i love fall it's my favorite time of year so we're kind of winding down for the season but yeah find us on uh, crimsonmoonfarm.com you can find recipes products youtube videos you can find us on facebook and tiktok crimson moon farm so look us up there what about you you got shows coming up I do. I have, um, I'm booking some things. Um, the next thing that's going to be happening, I think the week that this comes out is I'm going to be opening for Mark Marin at the Comedy Attic. I'm very excited. I think those shows are already, already sold out. So me promoting this is just bragging. (laughs) You guys can't get tickets, but I'll be there. So suck it. (laughs) Worth it. Yeah. And I am going to be in your neck of the woods. Oh yeah. In Columbus, Ohio. Ooh. On October 5th at a show called Freaks and Beaks. Sounds delicious. Which is, yes, uh, at the Rambling House in Columbus, Ohio. So I would say come to that, but you are leaving the contiguous United States. So sorry about you, but everybody else in the Columbus area, come see me because it'll be a good time. I'll cancel my trip to Hawaii just to come see you. You should. And we did get another date. We're going to be back at the Byler Lane Winery in Auburn, Indiana on November 19th. That was such a fun, awesome 
the awesome show to do and uh the the owners of the winery were really pleased i was really pleased so i'm excited that we're going to be heading back there and uh i was just on i think i mentioned this last time but if you haven't listened to it go ahead the the episode of secret opinion the podcast that my friends mark and emily do that with me in it came out and it's a it's a very silly and fun <laughs> show so i enjoyed listening to that it was just like being in the green room with them yeah. and just like talking about cool. silly stuff so yeah hop on over and check out that episode of secret opinion and that's pretty much all i've got going on for right now but you can find me on facebook instagram tiktok twitter and stay up to date on everything that i got going on and you can find the podcast too at passing notes uh, with Ashley and Chanda on Instagram and Facebook. And we have a Gmail too, if you want to send us an email and uh, tell us about the time your trailer got picked up by a tornado. We want to hear about it. Yeah. If you guys had any close calls with, with natural disasters, yeah, I'd definitely love to hear about it. Tell us your story. Yeah. Give us that info. So yeah, track us down, find us, communicate with us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I feel like we're getting in a groove here. This is... About 26 episodes? Yeah. We're like pros. Hopefully everyone agrees. Uh, I think Tyler would disagree with that statement. <laughs> he does all of our editing, so he would strongly disagree. <laughs> I think we're I think we're great. Because I don't listen to the raw cut. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you share this show with your best friend. Yes, indeed. Every week we like to thank my husband, Tyler, for producing, recording, editing this show. He does an excellent job. He works tirelessly, dedicating his life to us, to this show, to make it great. <laughs> he just doesn't have a lot going on, I think. Get a life. Like... Get a life, loser. <laughs> <laughs> we spend two hours researching our topic. He spends eight hours editing our <laughs> <laughs> but yes thanks to him for doing all the editing and things behind the scenes for us but we also want to thank you guys for listening thanks for hanging in there for 26 episodes for shanda sung i am ashley morgan join us next time on passing notes with ashley and shanda passing notes with ashley and shanda was recorded in front of a live studio audience Okay, just one guy. <laughs> but he's enthusiastic at least.